I'm Quinn Murphy, and this is In My Chair. Lori Goldstein is a New York-based stylist. Born in Columbus, Ohio, and always a lover of clothes and fashion, she decided to move to New York City to launch her fashion career. She then started her editorial work at Vanity Fair magazine, as well as collaborating with Annie Leibovitz on a series of Gap and American Express ad campaigns, and beginning her partnership with Stephen Mizell on a number of projects, including their Versace, one of my favorites, Valley of the Dolls-inspired ad. Goldstein has since gone on to work with noted photographers such as Richard Avedon, Bruce Weber, Peter Lindbergh, Mario Testino, Erbritz, Craig McDean, Patrick DeMarchelier, and basically everyone else. She styled campaigns for high-end brands with, such as Prada, Dolce Gabbana, Hermes, Tiffany & Co., Versace, Yves Saint Laurent, Vera Wang, Valentino, the list goes on and on. And she's held contributing editor positions at Elle Magazine, W Magazine, and Vogue Italia. Her A-list celebrity clientele include Madonna, Rihanna, Katy Perry, Gwen Stefani, Julianne Moore, Michelle Williams, and Kate Blanchett. In 2009, Lori launched Logo by Lori Goldstein, her exclusive collection for QVC, and she's the author of Lori Goldstein, Style is Instinct. Lori, welcome in my chair. Thank you, Quinn. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to talk to you. I haven't seen you in, gosh, it's been a I while. Know. Well, That's I see you on TV and I, and I do watch, by the way. Thank you. And I see you on Instagram. And that is one of the reasons I do love social media. There's many reasons to not. Right. But there are many reasons to. And I do get to, I feel like, you know, we get to stay in touch through that. Um, So I'm really excited to talk to you today because you're somebody who obviously has been in this industry for such a long time. And I think that people listening could really learn a lot from your journey, what you've been through. Like, I just have so many questions. So I just want to get started. Um, So you grew up in Columbus, Ohio. And where did your love of fashion like come from, would you say? So I was born in Columbus and really grew up because those teenage years were Cincinnati. But I have, I don't ever remember a time that I did not love clothing and expressing myself through, you know, all of the visual beauty of the world. And so honestly, that was always my, like, it's not like I played with dolls or I had these other, like, I was always playing with clothes, kind of playing that I was the storekeeper or, you know, that kind of thing. And it's where would you always, get the clothes from? Did your mom buy you whatever you wanted or were you making them? She didn't buy me whatever I wanted, but of course she loved clothes. My mom had great style. Her mother had great style. Her, the original Gaga, Gaga Gladys. <laughs> and, you know, we, um, of course she dressed us. And so I played with those kinds of clothes and that's really where my style started. Cause I was kind of a tomboy, but I loved, you know, all of those like different kinds of fabrics, just what logo is. And then also we would go visit my grandmother who lived on the South side of Chicago. And so we were never allowed to leave the building <laughs> and I just played in Gaga's like, she had this big jewelry, not real, but still like tons of jewelry at the vanity and in her closet. And she always wore leopard and tiger and she was kind of wild. So 
Sounds you know, familiar. I, yeah, I think <laughs> I attribute my style to my mother's mother, and she, my mother, agrees. So um, I think that's where all of it came from. You're also someone I can say that today you love clothes. You buy clothes. Like every time I've gone to your house, you've got so many clothes and you wear accessories and you still are one of those stylists. I feel like the stylist who just wears black and shows up on set and that. And then you have the stylist who just truly like immerses themselves in the world of clothing. Totally. I think that's one of the um, the pluses that also keeps me so excited in what I you know continue to do. Um, I do love to... I love clothes. I do love accessories. I love designing my home. I just love beautiful things. And I love, that's kind of my art. I mean, I'm not a painter and I just love putting things together. And yes, I mean, as a stylist, I love being able to have access to literally anything and everything. And as a designer, I'm still totally inspired by, you know, what I see, be it nature, be it in a store, be it a piece of paper, whatever it is. I love it. I love jewelry. I love it all. And, you know, that's, that truly keeps me excited. It's not like, oh, I have to go do this. It's, it, I'm still totally inspired every day. It shows. I honestly, it, it, I can you. tell by looking, when you see the, what you put on, you're just like, oh, wow, that's somebody who has fun with, with yeah. the way that you gotta have fun. Um, I want to know really about when you moved to New York City, what was it like and what was the fashion industry like at that point? Totally. Well, I do want to start with me, you know, moving to Los Angeles from Ohio oh, right. because because I did have a great um t- I I mean really the beginning was re- well a couple things if I can start. Like my stepfather was on the road with, um, he sold clothes. So that was really my first inspiration. He had these cashmere lines. And so I just really started to understand, you know, beauty. And then when I moved to LA and I met Fred Siegel, you know, Fred was really the man who just (laughs) left this, um, gorgeous planet or not so gorgeous planet. Um, it's gorgeous. Um, yeah. I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Fred really was a mentor to me and he really saw something in me and he brought me to New York on a buying trip and I was 18 years old. And as soon as I saw New York, I'm like, I'm moving there. And, but I worked with Fred for several years and learned so much from him because he was another pioneer with no rules and just did things his way. And so I really got to experience a Los Angeles, which I still love today and B how to do things your own way. And he was so, you know, clear to me always like use your talent for your way of doing things never give in, never do what people think, you know, you're supposed to do and tell you. And he really embedded in me, like be my own person. Wow. But I came to New York in 1978 and there was no fashion business. I'm in, you know, in parentheses per se, it was very different. You were either an editor in a magazine or you were a stylist, which was barely a word anyone knew. And there was a huge catalog industry with all of these 
studios along um, Park Avenue South, and they were just two very different businesses. If you did one, you did that, and you weren't known, and that was just a business. And then I heard you said it was like a dirty word to be a a freelance. It was. That's right. It was. That's what exactly I'm, I guess I'm trying to say in different words, it was a dirty word to say you were a stylist because you were, you, that meant you did catalogs and it was not like, you know, creative. Well, it, as we've learned, it is creative, but at back then it was either you were in that business or you were fabulous at one of the magazines and you were an editor and that was it. So and did there you was think no- that's what you wanted to do was go to a magazine? Never. Really? I I had no idea what I wanted to do, Quinn. I had no idea. I mean, I came here and I, my friend um, from Cincinnati, this incredible, incredible designer, Isaiah, I had him move here and we started a business together. I came, my first job was at Fiorucci where um, that's where I knew I wanted to work when I came with Fred. I was obsessed with Fiorucci and I worked there the first summer I was there. And so I didn't know what I wanted to do. And we all just did everything and nothing. I mean, I went to studio 54 at night, mud club Mm. happened. That was what we did. We worked to go out at night. Was anyone else that we know in the fashion industry there at that same time? Yes. This little kid at 15 years old would come into Fiorucci and hang out with me every Saturday and his name was Mark Jacobs. Yeah. And he, Mark said that um, he would say that he wanted to be a designer. So we know how um, that worked out, which was perfect. And Mark was heaven then. Um, you know, Patricia Fields was the store that I um, would go. That was all of our go-to store. And that was amazing. And we know how great Pat is. Um, Anna Swee was you know, became a friend very quickly. And Anna was part of the whole scene. Um, But it was the start of a scene, right? Because it was the start of a scene. Exactly. So that's why I'm saying up until then, there was no real business per se is like, what would you do except for be a certain, you know, you were either this or that you were either an editor or a stylist. That was a dirty word. And then a scene started happening. And then there was a woman, Terry Melville, who was the um, creative director, the fashion director at Macy's and Roberta Wagner at Bloomingdale's. And you would hope to get your clothes if you were a designer in their windows. And that's how you started in America. And so, you know, that's when a business started happening. And then I met and I decided I was going to be a stylist. I decided Isaiah and I had a partnership that didn't work out with the money person. Mm. And um, a friend of mine said, you should be a stylist. I'm like, okay, what do I do? And it was like, I just started testing. And then Terry Melville took me to um, Macy's advertising department. And I started working with them freelance, but all the time. So that was my first big client. Wow. And I would run around that big Macy store and pull everything that was, you know, everything to make shoots. And it was really creative then. I mean, my first job was with Albert Watson and Mario and I did think everybody shot for Macy's then. Was so there anyone else styling at that time as, as a freelance stylist? Not that I know. No. Wow. I mean, they were editors at, you know, magazines. Right. So 
you know, and nobody had an agent back then. No stylists had agents. And I remember thinking, well, I don't really want to negotiate my fee and then have to be on set with these people. I mean, I knew better than that. So I begged Leslie Sweeney from Art and Commerce. And um, eventually, um, when I was working every day with Annie, who was at Art and Commerce, it made sense to take me on. And I was the first stylist she took. So you were the first stylist to ever have an agent. That I know of. Yeah. I mean, yes, I believe so. And that was something that, you know, didn't really exist. And so then the stylist sort of category, you know, started growing. And I think that people saw that it was a real job and a real business and that you didn't have to be at one magazine. So 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 then the 80s came in. Yes. And did that feel like with the supermodel and the fashion industry, did that, did you feel that it was a huge change? Well, the cool thing is for me is that I had different, um, different phases. So when I met Annie, which was randomly through, um, Ann Magnuson, who was, um, she's a performance artist and she was being photographed for Vanity Fair. Before that, I had done just really kind of these odd jobs, self magazine, just these odd, you know, things that were fun and great. But then Ann asked me to do the shoot with Annie. Annie was just going to Vanity Fair. And thus that relationship began. I was, and then that's when advertising started switching over to like, um, using celebrities and using, um, you know, it, nobody wanted to do advertising up until that point. And then it was Annie Leibovitz and it was Gap and it was all of these jobs, the American Express. So because it was Annie, it's, you know, that, uh, became something that was prestigious instead of a dirty word, you know, those words of commercial or selling out or I don't So that's what that was about. It was just like you wanted to be an artiste. Yes. And then you realized um, you can be an artiste and also make money and also do um, creative jobs that are not what we maybe thought of prior to. So that was the beginning of all of that. I must say the Gap campaign was probably the first of its kind where, you know, all of these artists and actors and, um, you know, people at the top of whatever their, uh, their field was started feeling okay with advertising. And um, that was really the 80s. And that was the beginning of that. Were Annie's sets like much smaller than they became they are now yeah i think of those uh, hbo ads or the american express yes. you know and it's like oh my gosh well there was always a set there's a funny story because when we did and for vanity fair we had a set and i brought these curtains in and we all kind of did whatever and i draped this set and for years annie would call me when there was um like a set to design or she loved the way I draped curtains. And one day I said to her, I go, you know, I actually am a fashion stylist. I don't <laughs> even know if she knew what that was, but it was like, I really love fashion. And I that's do more really than what curtains. I do. Yes, baby. I do more than draping of curtains. So um, that's when that kind of clicked with her. And that's when, um, 
you know, she started booking me for every job. And that's when we started doing um, everything together, really, for many, many years. But how did you know what to do as a stylist? Oh, my God, Quinn. I just winged it. I winged my whole life. It's like, I mean, I knew that I loved what I did. I, um, I, I just winged it and hoped that I never got caught. I mean, I just really think back on all of my jobs in the beginning and I didn't know what I was doing. That's I mean, the difference I, between now is the industry is so um, big and there's so many people vying that there's no room for beginners to really make those like quote unquote mistakes. You know, it, I guess, or there's so many beginners that nobody notices that's all there is. Touche. Uh, <laughs> yeah, actually, I stand corrected. Absolutely. Um, but also, I cared so much. I mean, I did know, I, I had a vision for every job I did, let's say, and then it was like I was winging. I remember, I'll tell you something that will be like one time, it was Rose's Lime Juice, and it was Annie's first advertising job. And I remember the bottle had to be in the picture and that just bugged her. And I was like trying to like make it look good and doing this whole set. And she was like, she goes, didn't you go to art school? And I was like, (laughs) well, in fact, no, I did not. And that was like a moment where I (laughs) I was like, no, honey, I'm. And so when I say I'm winging it in one way, I was, but also. I had that freedom of not being in the, you know, that box of this is what I learned in school. And so it has to be done this way. Right. You had the spirit. Yes. The spirit was there. And I think that was really something that really um, benefited me in the long run because I just did what I wanted to do. Were you always Um, able to speak up for yourself? When somebody, you know, when somebody really tests me on a, you know, at a certain level, I will definitely always speak up for myself and always did. Uh huh. You know, it's like, I'll take it to like, you know, I understand, um, listening more now <laughs> uh-huh. and you grow up and learn, but yeah, I would stand up for myself. And I, I think that's a big part of, you know, being in this business. I always think that people of the generation who survived the eighties and nineties, like they're all very self-protective and know how to, you know, know how to survive. Like there's just something tough about that. Even if it doesn't come across that way, that they really just like have been through it all and like have dealt with the personalities and just are like, it's true. And we have dealt with it all. And we were such a strong group of, um, You know, it was really kind of maybe a new thing to have a really major career that was freelance in this industry because there really wasn't an industry per se. You know, it's very different now. So we all really had to take care of ourselves and we had our agents and that's what was so important about having an agent. But as you know, today, there's still no unions and there's still nobody sticking up for us in that big picture. So we had to really guide our own careers. And so, yes, we had to learn to maneuver this on our own. And I think that that paved the way for the whole industry and, you know, really working so hard and so many hours and such crazy, um, 
you know, just a crazy lifestyle. You have to be of a certain ilk, right? To be able to do this. <laughs> Absolutely. You have to really want it and want it even if you didn't like get the big payday. I feel like there's a time totally. when you're coming up where you go, I just want to be a successful makeup artist or stylist. Yes. So how did you meet Steven Mizell? So Steven, I met I met through the clubs. We were all at the Mud Club every night. And, you know, Stephen and I weren't friends at the time, but we had a mutual friend that was Anna, Anna Swee. And then Stephen was also with Art and Commerce. And so, you know, obviously all of our dreams were to work with Stephen. And that happened in my God when I, you know, did my first job with Stephen, which I believe was an Italian Vogue with Shayna. I'm really bad with names, but we did this great um, shoot. And, you know, the rest is sort of history. And was he already a big deal when you met him? Stephen was a big deal before he was a big deal. I mean, really? Stephen was a big deal from just being on the scene, being at the Mud Club and, you know, Stephen and Terry Toy and Stephen worked at Women's Wear Daily and he was, you know, um, he was an illustrator. And then he went into photography and worked for the Soho News and every all the cool things that were happening then. But yeah, I mean, Stephen was always, you know, he grew up in New York and he was always a thing and great. And then when he started doing photographs, I mean, Polly Mellon immediately started using him for Vogue. So his rise was immediate and, you know, his talent is so obvious and it was just, you know. And you and, and Stephen and Anna and maybe Mark Jacobs were all kind of in this friendship clique. Is that right? We were. I mean, we, you know, everyone drifted, but I mean, eventually, yes. And it was just everybody, it was more of like this connection through where you went. I mean, everyone was at the mud club every night. So whether you were in the same group of people, you were in the same world together every night. That's and where it was fashion every went. night. Yes. Uh-huh. It was like studio. I caught the tail end of, you know, in 78. And right. I was, that was so fun. I was like this kid, like what? Um, I remember going up to Calvin Klein and saying, I love you. I might've been high. Um, And, um, you know, it was just like, I'm never really in awe of anyone. I think that's how I can do this business too, Quinn. You're probably the same. It's like, we're all just people, but you know, there's a few. And then, you know, we just all hung out and it was all about the scene as much as our work. And so it was all integrated, actually. And was everyone high and just like having the time of their lives? I'm not going to say everyone was high, but everyone was having the time of their lives. Whatever that and meant for them. It, whatever that meant for them. <laughs> I mean, it was all exploding. I mean, it really was. You know, you hear that cliche of music, art, and fashion, but that was the intersection of all of it. And it was awesome. Was so, it socially, and there were no rules. Was it socially acceptable to do a line on like the hair and makeup table or someone not maybe names, but was that the vibe? Like people, I believe the generation right before me, it was. Okay. And that's where I'm saying it wasn't, it was a whole other, it wasn't really like a business. It was, you were truly creating images and you know, it was, it was. And I think by the time I started, it started getting more serious. But for example, 
when I started and I worked, um, I was an editor at large at um, Allure when Linda Wells started it and was fabulous. And Polly was um, the editor and it was just this fabulous time. And Josie was my assistant at the time. Yes. And so that was a fabulous time in the sense that there were no credits ever. So I got to live this whole experience of just really going to the shows. That's when I went to Europe, went to every show, got to call in every single thing that I loved. And again, as a woman that loves clothes, it was just like candy store and get to do really shoot and do whatever we wanted. There were no credit lists. You didn't have to shoot Armani. You didn't have to shoot, you know, whoever it's like, just it. In fact, it was this world of advertisements in that second head um, masthead in the right. magazine and the first, and it was like a no, no to even suggest, well, we know that change. And that's when I say that's really when it became a business, right? Yeah. And before that, it was just do what you want to do and make great pictures. And that was fabulous. And then I, of course, I loved, um, you know, I mean, it was, it was challenging when you had to do, had to use certain designers and when did that happen and why did it eventually happen? I think it probably happened maybe early nineties and it happened because fashion became a big business and money became, you know, the name of the game. right? Right. So advertising was everything. That's how magazines and life ran. So you know, it it made sense, but there was also this feeling that I always liked because, you know, obviously you can make great pictures with no restrictions or do a great job with no restrictions. But when you have that and you can make that great, I like that challenge. So it was, it was different, but it was good. Sometimes annoying, but you always got it in there. And I feel like it beca- it was just as great. You just, you know, it was just different. Do you remember the moment when you started to like actually make a decent living? Be- you know, I'm assuming before if it was so artistic, <laughs> it was not. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Well, you know, I've always been one of art and commerce. And so, you know, I didn't have a dime to my name when I got my first job at Macy's. And I remember you know, as I started working with them more, um, I was like, um, you know, when's that check coming? When's that check coming? Right. You know, those days of like, did the check come? Did the check come? And I remember after I started working with them all the time and a few other clients also, and remember not having to worry, did the check come? Did the check come? Did the check come? I was like, okay, we're on a good trajectory here. (laughs) And it feels good and foreign and foreign and and very foreign. And it felt so great. And I thought, I never want that feeling again. (laughs) And I kind of haven't. I mean, knock on wood. You certainly haven't. (laughs) Yeah, it's been, it's been great. When did the the stylist start working closely with the designer? That's a great question. So really, I'm going to say I'm really bad with time. So I'm going to say it was the 90s also, late 90s perhaps. And it was really Franca Sozani who 
made the call that the designers, especially, you know, the Italian designers who she worked very closely with needed that editorial feel and needed a stylist eye. And so it was really Franca who introduced that. And I, okay, I, one second. I'm really yes. always fascinated with, with this. The designer is designing their inspiration and the clothing. What is it that they don't have that they need from somebody who is a stylist? I think there's several things. I think, um, they're two different jobs. I think a designer can be brilliant and design, you know, but a lot of designers don't build a collection per se, where this goes with that. You think maybe old school designers where they would do outfits and think in outfits, right? Mm -hmm. So then it became more, you know, designing clothing and categories just as the business changed. And there were a lot of clothes and, I think that designers can be also be very attached to their clothes mm. and how they see it. And to have that outside perspective is very important for almost everything we do. That's why we talk about team effort all the time, which is a very real thing. And it just became where a stylist was a member of the team and sees things very differently. And I see things very differently than a designer for many reasons. One, I didn't go to school to college. So I didn't have that. This is how things are. So I would come in and say, I love that fabric. That would make an incredible jacket. And somebody would say to me on the team, but that's a bottoms fabric. And it's like, well, maybe it's not, you know? And so to mix things up where, you know, I don't really have that. This is how things have to be right. per se. And so that is I think one of the um, qualities that I would bring, you know, as my, me being a stylist. And so it's just another team member, really. I didn't realize that stylists were um, involved even before the garment was made. Uh, I was, I think. And I also have worked with clients where I just came in and styled their collection. So right. it just depends on, you know, who you're working with, or if you build a relationship with the designer and you get involved from the beginning to end. I mean, my first real experience of doing that was with Donatella Versace. And it was, you know, right after Gianni had been killed. And um, Donatella called me right away. I'd met her, you know, just not that long before Gianni died. And I kind of, you know, knew when that happened, that horrific ugh, day, I, I got this hit that I was going to hear from Donatella. It was almost like huh. I knew it. And I did. And, you know, Donatella and I, I worked with her very closely from beginning to end of collection really? to wow. advertising. Yep. I spent a lot of time in Milan. Was um, that the Valley of the Dolls era or that came later? That was, I mean, uh -huh. the Valley of the Dolls was probably the second or third, that was probably the third campaign. And that all just, you know how life just crescendos. So I had started working with Donatella. Stephen had moved out to LA and was exploring LA because Stephen lit, you know, born and bred and diehard New Yorker and was living in LA. So all of the shoots were outside and it really exploring LA for LA and we did an Italian Vogue shoot with Hannah Lore that was last minute. And so there were no clothes. And so it was like, I had to go to all of my favorite vintage stores in, um, 
in LA. And that's what that whole shoot was. Wow. And then from there we were doing, you know, Versace and that collection just inspired us to just, you know, go for it. I was always obsessed with Jacqueline Suzanne, as was Steven. It was just our aesthetic and it was just the moment, you know, when things just happen and life does happen. It's just the moment arises and you have no idea and every idea of why it's, it's, you know, it's happening. I love that story. Yeah, when it, was a, did, it was awesome. When did the Versace silk dress, the Jennifer Lopez um, dress come out? That was after that. So that was after that. And that was, I became friends with, at the time, the head designer. Her name is Lorenza. She's a dear friend of mine. And we were all in Palm Springs, Um in August, my mother lived there and her and Brian Atwood were out there. They always vacationed. Brian did all the accessories and we were hanging around and we were just looking around and living for the palm trees and being like, this is an amazing print. And the next thing I'm back in September and there's our print and Donatella and the whole team and everyone. And there it was, it all took off from there. Do you see how little ideas just become big ideas? It's incredible. And I have to tell you, I honestly didn't know how involved you were from start to finish in my, I, because I, my reference is more of the modern stylists right now, thinking that they come mm. in, they'll <laughs> do 10 shows a season and style for that person. And it's not as, um, it's not as conceptual. That's really mm-hmm. interesting. Wow. Things have changed. <laughs> so <laughs> when did, did you feel, because I would say arguably in the last 10 years based on the photographer, but the stylist in many cases has become more powerful than, than the photographer, unless it's a Steven Mizell or a Steven Klein or something like that. When did the stylist start to become so strong in the industry? I'm not sure I can answer that, Quinn, because I have really, um, I think the last part of my styling career, um, again, it was a team. You know, there was a great, the way that I worked with my favorite um, images and my favorite jobs were, you know, it was a full collaboration with the photographer with an art director with myself. And so, and obviously Harry makeup, you know, when the, when it came around to, you know, getting closer to the shoot, but that it was always that team effort. And so that's what I know. And that's how I left that part of my career. What I do know is, you know, I worked with Vera Wang for, um, a long time after Donatella and when I was really just exhausted from, you know, traveling the world and wanting to be home. And then I I just, I really switched. I remember there was a certain shoot. I was in France. I was with Steven. It was Italian Vogue. It was amazing. There was like 50 models literally of all, you know, and actors and just characters and everything. And I remember, and this is just how my life works. I had the epiphany that I always have when, you know, something's about to change in my life. And, um, I remember thinking, you know, I came out and set and did what I set out to do. And now what, Mm. and the now what 
didn't happen for a while, but I knew that I was ready to do something else. So there was a specific moment when that happened. And so really I have to say, you know, when QVC happened and honestly, just like everything else, it's really when I saw that, you know, I could fully support myself doing QVC. I really kind of said goodbye to styling. And I remember also thinking, I want to do a book for myself as much as for, you know, the world, if anyone was interested, but it was sort of my goodbye love letter to that part of my life. Right. And so, you know, that was the sequence. And, you know, I'm not the type of person that ever could talk about my work. I mean, being a businesswoman now, as much as a creative person, I've learned to have to talk about myself. And it's, you know, I can do it, but it was never who I was. So I would never, ever say, um, oh, I style Madonna and I did that cover of, you know, Demi Moore. And so when people saw my book, they were, they're like, you did that, you did that. And, you know, it was so interesting because I never, you know, that's just not who I am. Well, yeah. And it's also a way to concretize a a career that is all, you can't hold a a tear sheet and know that that's like what you've done or that you traveled all over, that you worked on this, you know, pattern. It's a way that you can actually have a book and say, this is something, you know? I've no, I've, yes, that's what's happened with the book. That isn't the reason I wanted to do it. It really was, you know, a personal project that, you know, I was moving on. That's what I had hoped. But it was really great because it's sort of my business card. Yeah. (laughs) And it's funny, even when you did the intro for me, like I am not a personal stylist to any of those celebrities or women that you said I am. I'm not a personal stylist. So I've worked with all of them and I respect all of them. And I'm grateful to have worked with so many people, but it's always been through an editorial or an advertising job. It's, you know, never been to personally style for them. Was Madonna Um, an exception? Not really. The real exception was Demi. I mean, Uh I did personal styling for Demi and that was fun because I really liked Demi and I became friendly with, um, you know, the people that worked with her. And so we would, I would have fun with her and Madonna you know, not really. I mean, we worked on, we, I mean, all we did was work. So we were always working on a project, but I didn't really style her personally. Um, where did you shoot the take a bow video? The take a bow was in, um, Spain. Okay. And it's called Sevilla. It was this little town that was so gorgeous. And that was such a great experience on so many levels. First of all, it was the first time I worked with Madonna. So we had, we met in Paris and um, it was during the show. So we went to John's show together and that's when we picked out all the clothes and um, for it. And then for a lot of the clothes for it. And then um, it was great because obviously Orlando was one of my closest friends. So he was there. And so we all naturally, and I always felt this, you know, kinship with Madonna because we're the same age. We're Midwest girl, you know, 
We grew up in the Midwest. We came to New York at the same time. We were in different groups, but you know, there was always that connection. I can see that and, and strong. Yeah. And so that was fun because I got my first taste of Madonna where we were, we get there and we're in this gorgeous little sort of boutique, like, not even boutique. It wasn't even a hotel. It was this gorgeous, like Spanish style, you know, someone's home. And it was like, the, the little town found out that she was there and it was like, there was no way we could stay there. Oh my God. So we had to move to this other hotel and the first night they found out and it was so funny because Orlando was putting on these wigs and walking past the window and you could hear like, you know, hundreds of people screaming, Madonna! And we were just so sad. I got what it was like. I thought, oh my God, I would never, ever want to be famous. And it was wild. And that was before social media. It's even worse now, I bet. Exactly. I mean, she was so famous. And so, you know, it's this little town. I I remember we're like going down these, those steps to start, you know, shooting. And I see this woman, she's, she had to be like 80 years old and she's like crying, Madonna. And I'm just like, this is insane. Oh my God. It is insane. It's insane. Lori, I wanted to ask you though, because you seem really fearless in a lot of the decisions that you make. In 2009, or at whatever point you started talking to QVC, QVC was not cool. It, no one had yep. done it. I mean, Isaac Mizrahi, I, it may have been on there, but no, no one from our- Isaac wasn't there he yet. He wasn't even there yet. Okay. So even more so- um, were you ever thinking like, oh my God, I've spent my career working for Italian Vogue and now I'm going to go to QVC? I mean, you understand yeah. as an outsider how that would look. I do. Um, you know, Quinn, I really have never cared what other people think about me. I mean, pr- maybe when I was younger and um, you learn very quickly not to, you know, wor- worry or really they have nothing to do with me. It's all about what feels good for me. And I've always guided my own life. Mm -hmm. And so when I said before that I knew I had set out to do, um, you know, I mean, I had done what I had set out to do when I was on that shoot in France and, um, I didn't know what the next was, but I knew I was done with what I was doing. And, I knew that I always felt bothered by the fashion fabulousness that was to me never fabulous. I got to meet incredible people in the level of work and the clothes that I, I mean, I I got to travel the world and see just the best of the best of everything. And I've always loved quality and, you know, perfection in anything, but it comes at a price. Yes. But I knew there was more. And so the great opportunity in working with Vera was that Vera had just was just launching her Coles collection. And so I worked on that as the creative director, really, and really worked on it day and night and saw that as much as I loved watching 30 women work on one dress and it made me cry and it was pure beauty. The idea of making a hundred thousand pairs of jeans and being able to make them incredible and having women that many women be happy really sparked an interest in me to do something like that and that's when QVC came about and the funny thing is is when I turned 50 
I thought to myself, because I do have a spiritual practice, and it was like, what is your biggest fear? And I realized my biggest fear was being in front of the camera and talking to people that I really wanted to do because I had learned so much. And then QVC came about at just that moment. And Quinn, I was scared to fucking death. Really? To be in front of a camera. I was such a wreck. And then when I did it the first time, I thought, what have I been waiting for? Because I'm doing what I love. Right. I make clothes every, when I say, I don't make them per se, but I'm involved in the design process from beginning to end, just like I was, I, I thought. I thought to myself, now, why wouldn't I be? That's what I did for other designers. Of course, I'm going to be that involved in my own brand. And then, you know, from designing to picking prints, to coloring, to working with the team that, you know, are making everything for logo, Lori Goldstein, to styling. We still style every look that goes, you know, on the model at QVC. So, No, I wasn't worried about what anyone thought. I really don't care. And I was challenged again. Uh Uh-huh. I was bored. Were you burned out? I wasn't burned out. I was bored. Uh Uh-huh. I had style. I mean, I had done, that's what I mean. I had done what I set out to do. I mean, I, I, uh, there's nothing else that could have turned me on as much, you know, I I had done it. And then, but you didn't know it was going to be successful. Did you have a plan B? I didn't have a plan B. I'm going to disagree that I didn't know it was going to be successful because I try to think that whatever I do is going to be successful when my intention is so clear. Um, Yeah. So I was determined and I did know that I have something that other people don't, which is that I, you know, I do know how to put clothes together. I do have a connection with the woman and it's not just making clothes. And that's why I always say it's, it's like people have been coming up to me since I was a little kid and said, would say, I wish I could dress like you. And I remember thinking as a little kid, but they can, all they have to do is put it on. And I realized that people were just afraid to be themselves or to try something. Mm -hmm. And that's what I had. And that's what I was going to give back to them. Like, just do it. Like, there's no they or they're going to think I look weird or, you know, really go for whatever you feel. And I feel like that's what has been successful with myself and QVC. How can you as a woman who is used to working with couture and models and, you know, maybe actresses, but... um and you know the the finest stores and designers, and you're a New Yorker, and now you're selling and relating to the real American woman. Was that an adjustment? Well, no. I mean, I think that being who I am in my heart, feeling that we are all equal, um, which I know you feel, Quinn, yes, and that's absolutely. a real connection I have with you. Um, and knowing that all of us women have the same issues and also goals of just wanting to feel pretty or fabulous or fun or free, whatever it is for you, um, that I have that innately in me. 
So whether I'm dressing, you know, Giselle or I'm dressing my clients at QVC, they're the same person. And that I always knew. And I know it even more now. And I love, love, love um, that literally hundreds of thousands of women get to feel like they're part of the fashion world now and they feel beautiful and they feel like they're included. And this is all before these words existed, authenticity and inclusivity and all the words. And I say them like, you know, with a little sarcasm because I'm so grateful that they're part of our vocabulary now, but they've always been part of mine, you know, without even knowing what the words were. That's funny. I I didn't think about that, that you actually were reaching a diverse woman before that was even a kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, and that is probably why I never truly felt like I fit into the fashion world. Although never, never. Now people don't know that because they think, you know, a, it seemed like I was with the best of the best. Right. You seem like an insider to me. And I, I was as far as my work goes, but as far as me personally, no, I never felt comfortable in that world because it's bullshit what people in that world think is fabulous or who's fabulous and all that. It's like, no, honey, you aren't cool to me. You wouldn't be the cool kid to me. I, I'm being, you know, that I just never, that's not who I am. But again, like we How did you get around in that world though? How how well, did you just, find a way to navigate that? As we started this conversation where you said you truly love clothes and you truly love, you know, and I always that's how I navigated it. I know clothes, I love clothes, I know them, you know, how to put them together. I'm not afraid to do things that other people are afraid to. I mean, I always felt like, you know, I had to push the photographer push people a lot of times to actually do again, air quotes, fashion. It's like, are you sure? Are you sure? It's like, yeah, I'm sure. Like, you know, what are you sure about? You cannot make a mistake. Does this go together? Yeah, I think so. So what else, you know what I mean? That comes across in your clothes because I was, I've been obviously looking at a lot of the styling you did and everyone either looks cool or like a woman who has a point of view. I've never Thank seen you, you put, you're welcome. You don't put women in a fluff, in a fluffy dress and that's it. Like if you did, you'd have some kind of head wrap or some kind of accessory or something that makes it. Ab- totally. I mean, have fun. And I, that's how I see the world. I mean, do prints go together? Of course they do. I love when people are like, do blue and green go together? Well, ask Mother Nature. She thinks so. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's a no brainer. And, you know, when I started Quinn as a stylist too, working editorially, the designers really wanted us to keep their looks together. That was a thing when I started. And I would get in trouble and be like, well, you're not allowed to mix this designer with that right. designer. And then it's like, well, then I'm not going to use that designer. Like, I mean, I'm here to have fun and to give get my point of view across. Like, otherwise, you're I'm just not putting just full here. looks together. Yeah, yeah, right. So, you know, there were all those rules to break, and um, I've been a breaker of rules since I was born. FYI, ask my mom. I, be- I, I believe it, <laughs> <laughs> Lori. How do you make a garment for a woman that will work on someone whose size? 
extra yes. small to three X. Extra extra small okay. to five X is our size. Wait, there's five X. Yes. Right. So how do Which we, we even do that? Because it's not about size. It's about a state of mind. It's not for every extra, extra small, and it's not for every five right. X and for everyone in between. It's for women who think like me, who are confident, who want fashion, who are proud of who they are, and they just want to dress like this. And that's who I'm designing for. It's really for a state of mind. It is not about a body type. I've never, ever, you'll never read an interview where I've said, well, if you're this shape body, you should wear this. Oh. Never. It's about if you're this, if you want to wear huge flowers and you love mixing your prints, you know, this is for you. And by the way, if you love classic tailored clothes, I so respect that. But that's not what you're going to get from me, right? Because that's not my style. So, you know, I how are garments made in all different sizes? That's a whole other incredible topic. I mean, manufacturing clothes um, is just I'm I respect. You know, again, people used to poo poo. Oh, they're a garmento or whatever. It's like to make clothes, Quinn. I mean, as you know, in making makeup or making having anything produced is such a so feat. much work goes into into yes. like what looks very mundane and simple. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, nobody wants to touch this topic, and I can delete it if you don't want to. But I want to know, in your opinion. Why was the fashion industry so recalcitrant to diversity for so long? You know, I think it goes back to what I was saying about why I never felt comfortable in it. It was so insulated and so small and such a small world of people thinking, you know, they're so fabulous and above everyone that they weren't aware or conscious of anything else outside of them. And when I say diverse, I'm not talking about, you know, one specific thing. I just think that world lived in a world of its own mm -hmm. and we're not aware of anything that I mean, I know people today that all you can talk to them about is fashion. They know nothing about anything else. And that's <laughs> so fine. Many. Yes. Yes. And that's fine. You know, and I love it as much as they do. But I'm also well aware of a world that exists outside of it. And I'm turned on by that world just as much as the world of fashion, if that makes Abs sense. Absolutely. I think it actually so, makes the fashion better, right? Yes. And I don't. And and in saying that too, Quinn, I want to also state the other side of fashion, which is so inclusive in the sense that so many people who felt like outsiders where they came from um, found a place where they could be themselves within the fashion world. Mm -hmm. So I think it also offered that as much as the other. Right. Does that make sense to you? It does. I think that those people weren't necessarily the ones uh, pulling all the strings, right? Like, I, I just think growing, I just know for me, I was the oddball in 
um, Ohio. And that was when there weren't even all of these issues and all of this awareness that we have today. I just know I didn't fit in. You know, you really had to, um, you really had to fit in or you were strange. And I was always different. You know, I was always different in the way I dressed in the, who I was in what, and everything. And so I always say my greatest gift was I knew that I loved clothes and I knew I was leaving Ohio <laughs> and th- that was my education. And that's where life took me. Right. I agree so, with you. I mean, there's it, the fashion industry is a great place to be gay. For instance, exa- I never is. have to worry that being gay is going to be, um, you know, it's going to be harder for me to get ahead in fashion. Exactly. And that's a beautiful thing. And also FYI, I think it's one of the only industries where women I make more money than men. Touche. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, so there's, you know, as everything is, there's the great side to it. And, um, you know, a side that I think, you know, was just unaware because it was so into itself mm-hmm. and not from a bad point of view. You know, it was just like, just one pointed baby. I think it's the best thing to come out of social media with all the bad things about social media. I think it's amazing that everyone gets to say, Hey, I'm here and I Me should be represented. Um, I mean, listen, Quinn, that following you and seeing your passion and everything that is going on in the world and knowing that, you know, it's from your heart. Well, you it's too. Like, Every time I, I'm on a girl has no president or, or one of those sites, it's like Lori is right uh, commenting right before me. Well, that's who I've always been. I want to ask really. you about that because now okay. you have a lot. I don't want to say you have a lot to lose, but you have a brand and all, you yes. know, you are so outspoken. And it's what I love about you is that you're willing to, to say what you think is right and stand in that. But are you ever thinking about that you might have customers who don't agree with you politically or that QVC might not like you speaking out like that? Well, I'm very conscious of what I say. I've always been outspoken, but it always comes from a place of love. And I, I'm never not going to stand up for something that I think totally believe in. Mm -hmm. It really isn't about politics. It's really about doing the right thing. And I just, you know, I've always been that person always. And I always will be that person. And trust me, Quinn, I bite my tongue all the time. I want (laughs) to say stuff. I believe it. Me too, actually, even. Of course. So I think we're very conscious and it's always from a good place. And I just care so much about the right thing being done. And so much wrong has gone on in in this last decade, let's say, that, you know, I'm always going to stand up for the right thing. And that's all I care. Just be a good person, period. And then, you know... That's all I care about. I I agree. I know you do. Um, It's awesome. Is there anything in your career that you've had to sacrifice that you are now ready to to reclaim? 
sacrifice on a personal level? No, I don't. I don't feel like I've had to sacrifice anything. I feel like I was at crossroads sometimes where it's like, okay, am I going to be out partying every night or am I going to have a career? I'm going to have a career. Um, and am I going to be in a healthy relationship, which I don't even know what that means. That's a whole other (laughs) topic. Um, you know, I let life, I think I've lived my whole life, Quinn, where I've let life uh, unfold and I have followed it with, um, when knowing it's the right thing to do. So I have no regrets and I am very happy with the choices I've made. And no, I don't have any regrets. And I have, um, I don't think I've sacrificed anything. I think when I'm done with something, I'm done. And that's what I was saying about, you know, when I was done styling, I knew I had done everything I had wanted to do. Now what? And then QVC, you know, came in front of me and I'm about to embark on, you know, the next chapter of life that I can't quite say yet. Oh, Um, but I mean, it's part of this, but it's expanding on Mm. this. And, you know, I'm just really aware of when I'm, I just need to keep moving and I'm aware when I feel stagnate and that I have to do what's next. And I really just, you know, I'm a meditator and a contemplator and I just put it out in the universe. And when it shows up, it's there. And I, when I know what's right, I know it's right. And I have to trust that what I'm doing is right. That's what I did with QVC. I trusted in it. Not that I cared what anyone thought, because I don't. I remember so many people saying to me, people came up to me and said, can you believe she's doing that? Isn't she worried about? And it's like, I'm worried about what? Like I knew where I was going and I wasn't looking back, you know? You didn't have time to worry, worry about it. well, I was looking forward. Right. And honey, I'm glad I did. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I you, I mean, you did. I feel like you have something really good in your stars about timing because you've gotten into things at a really good time. When other things are I, slowing down, you've gotten into something else. And it's like, you know, everybody wishes they had like, a QVC. You know, when we say you have to be in the right place at the right time, mm-hmm. and it's so true. You know, and it really, if we're patient, which I'm not, but I've learned, you know, things really happen when they're supposed to. And guess what? If they happen before they're supposed to, it's not going to work out or after it's not going to happen. So, you know, we have to just learn. I remember when I was first starting to style and it's like, oh, I want to work with this photographer and that photographer and this. And then when I did work with them, I realized. I wasn't ready to work with them. You know, it would have never had the relationship and the stamina that it had if I had done it earlier. And so isn't that everything? I think you're so right. I think about that stuff too. Like timing is everything. Yeah. Yeah. I have one question I ask everyone who's on the show. And um, if you were able to go back in time and meet yourself somewhere, where and when would it be? And what would you say to yourself? Oh, you're so deep. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
not, that's not a casual question. No, but you didn't want the questions in advance, which I love. I didn't. No, no, no. no. Um, God, it can be one time. It doesn't have to be the time, I guess. It's probably when I was a teenager. Is Am I the only one having trouble with this? No, not at all. I mean, I don't know if it was a specific time. I think it's the times when I was scared and unsure and worried. I would tell myself that everything will be okay and life is absolutely perfect. I mean, there were, you know, several times throughout my life that, I really didn't know what I was going to do or who I was or why was I here. And you really see that you don't even have to put that much effort into anything. It all works out. And that's what I've really learned. I love that. Do you like that? I mean, it's really true. We torture ourselves and it's like, honey, it's all going to work out. Regardless. Regardless, exactly. Yeah. We, yeah. And it's all going to be incredible. And it's all going to be our own path. Like, never compare yourself to anyone. I'm working on that. Well, don't. And we, everything is working on, you know, and these are lessons that we have to learn. And you can hear it from me or anyone, your parent, all that. And we realize, you know, we have to have our own experiences. But look what you're doing. Yep. Look how fabulous. And you just did this. And you've always, I've been watching you. And it's like, we just try different things. And we just do different things that arise inside of us. And it might be like, oh, my God, I love this. And I found my passion. Or it's like, yeah, this is so boring. Goodbye. The worst thing's not failure. It's not trying. Truly. Exactly. It truly is that. Now, who said that? I don't know. I, I'm Someone sure I, a million people have said it. But. but it's so true. And, you know, Isaac used to say this thing, because actually before, um, you know, I styled with Isaac, and that was totally a um, come in and just style the collection that he designed, right? It right. wasn't like I worked with him during the season. And I didn't even know him then, right? And so the first time I worked with him, and we have very different aesthetics, and like he would see something and I'd see something through his eyes. I'd like look at it, and you know, that's the thing. You look at things and and then we would try something else. And and he would he said this thing that I always say now, and I tell him it's from him. It's like just looking. And it's so true. Just looking. Put that blouse with that. Put that top with that pants. Just, just looking. looking. No one's getting murdered here. Like, just looking. I'm going to steal that like, too. Isn't that good? Yeah. And it's like, because you just just keep trying. And that's what, you know, every shoe. Try that one. Try that. And it seems so silly. But it's like, and then it's like, there we are. And we're done. Just I looking. Go. Just looking, baby. <laughs> Can we you play know? a quick game? Of course. Okay. So I'm just rapid fire. I'm going to ask you this or that, and you let me know. So first one, Manolo or Louboutin? Manolo. Birkin or Kelly? Birkin. Rolex or Cartier? Ooh, both. (laughs) (laughs) Sweatpants or cargo stretch? Sweatpants. Uh, Leopard print or zebra stripes? 
Both. Tennis or bowling? Bowling. I yeah, and I have aren't you in a bowling group? <laughs> no, but we would go bowling. It's fun. Okay. Um drive or be driven? Be driven. Shopping or net a porte? Both. Favorite place to staycation? Home. Favorite US destination? Palm Springs. Thing you missed most about Ohio? Do you get it? (laughs) (laughs) Thing you missed the least about Ohio? Not being able to be my true self. Favorite red lipstick? Oh, you're mean. (laughs) Um... Probably my NARS. Come on, help me with the name. Uh, well, well, gonna, you wear all of them. I do. You wear Dragon Girl, me Mysterious a, Red. Yes, Dragon Girl's probably right there. I loved Rihanna's too. Um, yeah, I, I just love me a red lipstick. What are your favorite glasses or frames? My favorite glasses are um, titanium and lightweight. And what's, hang on, I got to tell you the name. Let's start. um, Makita. Oh, yeah. M-Y, yeah. They're great. What city or place will you never go back to? I can't say. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard. Um, Your go-to florist? I can't say because we use so many different and I love my favorite florist personally is picking them flowers out of my garden. Oh yeah. (laughs) Good answer. Like if you could see right now, I just love, and this is Joe Durso who's taught me one flower in a vase and it's divine. I'm not going to say I don't love a gigantic, gorgeous, like, but really my garden, that's where, that's the beauty of, growing up and don't you have a cool um kidney shaped pool it's not kidney shaped oh. it's just um it's just kind of or an organic shape okay and it's funny because it was here when i bought this house and i was like you know so, my modern like mid-century before it was groovy and the lap pools and then i love swimming in this pool i love swimming as a sentence yeah me too. It saved my life last summer. Did it save yours? Absolutely. If it I was didn't like have just get in the water. Oh, yes. What is your go-to restaurant? Don't have one. Hmm? I'm a bore. Well, save a lot of money not eating out. I can tell you it's that. It's true. I'd rather spend it on clothes and enjoyments. <laughs> Lori, I can't thank you enough for um, being on this show. You were one of the people I dreamed about having on when I first oh, conceived you're it. Oh, sweet. And, That's um, so sweet. Well, I hope you get everyone that you dream of. Thank you. And I think you are, right? I mean, I can't believe the, the guests I've had. I never would have imagined, truly. I'm so glad, yeah. Quinn. It's such a great idea. And again, um, really great questions and you're a great human and stay safe and stay as fabulous as you are you're such a good human thank you bye Lori. bye quinn